Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about uh, the anatomy of hope, if you will, um, specifically uh, an understanding from the from the uh, Ishvitzer Rebbe on it. And um, and let's just take a, a few steps backwards. We're going to kind of talk about the the, the the parshas and how they line up with um, with the calendar, and then really use all of this as a, a, a way of framing um, maybe a, a way of exploring um, kind of like the, the, the meaning of a teaching that is, is just a very central teaching for me and um, just, just one of my all-time favorites. It's, it's from the Kutzke Rebbe, and he, and he says like this. He says that it's a very great miracle to resurrect the dead, but it's an even greater miracle to resurrect the living. Right, so it's it, it, it it's it's a masterful play on words, and you know it, I don't know um, I'll just speak for myself. It's something that when you hear it, it just it resonates. Wow, you know, like something was just said. But the question is, wh- what does that mean exactly? You know, so I'm I'm going to just try to give my my own understanding of it. What does it mean to to resurrect the the living, to to bring the living back to life? Right, because obviously, on some level, the the living are already alive. So, what does it mean to bring the living back to life? And um, not only that, but why would that be a greater miracle than bringing the dead back to life? Right. So, so this is kind of the question that I want to explore over this talk, and we'll kind of like go in and out. We'll we'll revisit it over the course of the of the talk and and try to understand it. Um. So, so let's just let's just begin at the, at the most basic level. You see, if if someone is going to um, bring the dead back to life, and by the way, you should all know if you don't know it already, there's an amazing Gemara in uh, in a Masechta of Zorah, right right toward the beginning, um, that 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 talks about it's a whole amazing account. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but basically, um, it says. Uh, that one of the Roman emperors um, says that it's known, it's just common knowledge, that all of the sages of the Gomorrah, meaning all the, 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 the masters of, at the time, the Jewish masters at the time of the um, Talmud, right, all knew the secret of um, Techia Samesim, bringing the dead back to life. And they were actually talking about dead bodies at that point. That that was just a... Uh, among among the sages was just known. They just knew how to do it. And if you want to go more deeply into that and 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 find that, that's that's in the beginning of Masechta Avodazar. Um, so 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 there is the concept of bringing the dead back to life. But but so why would bringing the living back to life be be um, even greater? So. Again, on the most simple, basic level, if, if you want to bring someone who's dead back to life, then you would pray whatever prayer is the proper words or whatever it is, or if Hashem wills it, He would, so to speak, you know, desire it, and, and it would happen, right? In other words, there's an, here, here's the point. There's an outside force acting on another force, right? And then it just happens, okay? So... That's, that's pretty straightforward. So what's so complicated about bringing the living back to life? Because that actually requires the participation of the one who's alive. 
which is a fundamentally different dynamic. Because it's not just someone saying some amazing words or prayer or whatever it is and it happens. All of a sudden you require some sort of teamwork and you require a desire among the person who's alive but somehow not alive to embrace life again. And you know, if a person gets to this state where they're a member of the living dead, right? Because we, we have that concept very strongly in, in Judaism. And, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, the, if, you, if you look at Hollywood and, and what's popular in Hollywood, um, it's, it's always a very interesting window on, on, on the zeitgeist, as we say, on what's going on in terms of the popular culture and the popular imagination. Now, it's not always easy to read because certain things can be popular and you can say, ah, that's because they're thinking this. Maybe they're not thinking that. I don't know. But it is interesting that the most popular television show is called The Walking Dead. It's, 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 it's about zombies. They're, they're alive, but they're, bless you, they're alive, but they're dead. You know, this, this concept of zombies, you know, is, and, and what is that? What is that um, piggybacking on? This amazing, like, almost decade-long fascination with vampires. <laughs> Which are also the living dead. So where is this, what, does this say anything about us? This, this fascination, this popular fascination with the living dead. Does it? I, I think so. Am I going to give you an accurate reading of it? That's, I don't know. I, I don't know. But, but I think it's worthy of discussing, given just how much in the forefront of the popular imagination it is. You know, I mean, as speaking as someone who works in Hollywood, or tries anyway, you know, you, know, you, 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 like, you see, like, um, you always want to try to come up with a new idea, right? And, you know, I, I remember many times, like, riding in my car and seeing a billboard for a new television series, and it's like, Another vampire series? Like, are really? Like, the, the momentum of this is still so strong? Like, every, uh, every variation has already been done. Like, they're pumping more money into that? Like, it's, it's amazing. And, and then, after that, thinking, well, that's got to be the last one. And then, you know, six months later, years later, another vampire series? Like, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's, it's actually amazing how much longevity these ideas have, just measuring it by the barometer of the marketplace. So again, what is this, what would define, we have to come up with a definition of what, what is the definition of, of the living dead? What does it mean for someone to be alive and yet dead? What, what does that mean exactly? So... So I mentioned the Ishbitzer Rebbe. It's specifically, it's the third Ishbitzer Rebbe. It's the Radziner. Um, and, and the Radziner actually gave such a clear, simple, but very, very profound. Don't be, you know, you know sometimes, sometimes um, people don't really um, know how to hear uh, profundity. And, and let me, let me, I'll tell you a story, and I wish I knew the names of the rabbis, because um, uh, this is a real story. Um, I heard it from Rabbi Beryl Wine, and it just, uh, 
kind of makes the point. I'll tell you a, a couple of stories on this point, just so you can kind of appreciate what, what the Radziner uh, Rebbe says, what the Ishvitzer Rebbe says. Um, so this first story goes like this, that there was a very great Rav in the, in the 20th century. Um, uh, probably this is probably pre-World War II. And um, he was up for a rabbinic post. He was trying out. He wanted to try to get the job. But this was really one of the greatest rabbis of the age. And he had this amazing ability to take exceedingly complex things and to communicate them in a way that was understood, right? And so he gives his trial speech, his audition speech, you know, whether, whatever the occasion was. And um, the, um, the people sort of like listened, they evaluated it, and he didn't get the job. And, you know, now remember, this is like, this is really one of the greatest people of the age. Like, they, they, you would run to give someone a, a job of this caliber, right? And he, they explained to him, the reason why you didn't get it is because our last rabbi, when he spoke, he was so smart, no one understood what he was saying. You, we understood. <laughs> so, so, people, people like... <laughs> okay, so that's story number one. Story number two is this is said um, in the name of the Briskarov, who was really like the you know the greatest Talmudist of you know the past you know hundred or more years, and um, and again he had this gift of being able to say tremendously profound things, but to say it in a way that was very clear, and so he had just like found a way to wrap his mind around um, how to define what a contract is in the Talmud. And I haven't really studied these sections, but, but apparently it would be, there's so many different opinions and so many different areas to try to sum it up in a very simple way, direct way, would really be a, a great feat of, 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 of genius, basically. But he was able to do it. And he explained what it was, and one of his students heard it, and he said, that's obvious. And he said back to him, was it obvious before I said it? <laughs> because one of the marks, I'm not saying the only mark, but one of the marks of something being very true is that after you hear it, it should sound obvious. Right? But that doesn't mean that in, in five lifetimes you'd ever come up with it on your own. <coughs> Right? So this is what I'm saying is one of the challenges of hearing genuine profundity is that a lot of times you hear it and you go, yeah, of course. But you have to really think about it. You have to really, really think about it. Because what it's saying, what it's done is it's so successfully distilled such a giant thought into something so accessible that you have to really savor it and think about it and think about it and ask yourself questions about it and then try to integrate it into your present understanding and your present life choices and things like that. And then all of a sudden it unfolds and you're able to unpack it, so to speak. And you realize how much is contained in this nugget. You know, I remember, you know, when I, I studied a little bit of astronomy, that they would talk about these... Um, collapsed stars, like these things like white dwarfs and things like that, these categories of stars, where they would say a teaspoon of a star like that would weigh billions of pounds. Right? So that's what these thoughts are. They're, 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 they're just so short, but they, they're, they're, they're billions of pounds. Right? Okay. 
So with that as an introduction, let's revisit the question, and I'll tell you what the Radziner says. So the question, remember, we're, we're trying to figure out, again, what, what does Akatsuka Rebbe mean when he says that it's an even greater miracle to resurrect the living? Right? And then, even more, our next question within that is, what does it mean to be part of the living dead? Right? What, 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 do, what would define that? So the Radziner goes into a, um, a discussion about Parshas Para, which is, we have something, we have a certain very fascinating halacha, right? Um, Jewish law, which, which says that a kohen, right? That's, the, that's the, 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 the people who really led the avoda, the, the divine service in the holy temple, so that the kahanim are not allowed to go into cemeteries, right? Because that's just, that's just a law. So why? What, what is the explanation of that exactly? And to this day, by the way, if, if someone who's a Kohen, and that means that their father was a Kohen and their father was a Kohen, in a direct line all the way back to Aaron, Moshe's brother, um, and we have that. And by the way, they, they've done amazing DNA um, genetic testing in the, in the present year. Within the, they're, they're still doing it. Where if someone claims to be a Kohen, you can go and get a little DNA sample. And they're, they're, it's amazing how it's a separate class of, of genes or whatever the proper words are showing the authentic line of this one family back to Aaron, even amidst the Jewish people. It's a separate, it's a separate category. So it's amazing how faithfully the, the Kahanic line has preserved itself to this day. And by the way, in the Sephardic community, it's even more reliable than in the Ashkenazic community. You should know. Um, but anyway, that, that aside, um, so why this special law that the people who are leading this, the, the, the heavenly avoda, right, the heavenly service, why can't they go into a cemetery? Now, now the Radziner explains in the following way. He says that, you know, that when you go to a cemetery, it's a little depressing. <laughs> Very straightforward, because you say, you know, this guy, it's true, we have this concept of techias amesim, which is a very fundamental idea, that when, as the world continues to evolve, when it reaches its era of perfection, that the dead are going to rise, right? And, 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 and this is an amazing topic in itself, but, you know, here we see it today that we're, we're able to take fossils of things and and clone them and bring them back to life. So science is, is demonstrating the, the viability of this. And certainly, certainly Hashem can do it, you know. But um, nonetheless, it's depressing to go to a cemetery because you say, this guy's not coming back until Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, he'll come back. But until then, he's dead. <laughs> you know, that's, that's done. And so it, 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 it suggests a finality that is um, that undermines, and now here's the key word. Now we're really getting to what the Radziner is saying, which undermines hope. All right, this is the key word, and the Radziner says that the defining quality of life is hope. And if a person doesn't have hope, then they're a member of the zombie class. They're a member of the living dead.
You need hope to live. You need hope to be alive. I was having a conversation with someone, very amazing person. And we were talking really honestly with each other. And he said to me, well, he says, I believe that, um, I believe that there's a next world. I believe in Olam Abba. I believe that, you know, when Hashem wills it, that Mashiach will come. And so, so is that called hope? He asked me. Is that called hope? I said, well, you know, these things come in packages, right? Small, medium, and large. So I said, yeah, you know, to the extent that you have, that you believe that, you have hope that there's another era coming. But I said, that doesn't mean that you can't be dead in this world, though. Right? A person can hope that, that the future is going to be brighter, right? Meaning that w- whenever that happens, the next era, right? Let it be today. But at the, at, at the same time, though, until that happens, they can be without hope. And there's no, there's no steer, there's no contradiction in that approach at all. So a person can be quote-unquote religious and still be dead. This is, this is something that, that we have to understand. So what does it mean? What does it mean to hope then? Right? If we're saying, again, that's the, that's the teaspoon of the dwarf star that, um, that the Radziner is presenting to us. That's the distillation of a very giant thought. That to be alive means to have hope in your future. Okay? There's a lot to that. Believe me, there's a lot to that. And a person really has to really ask themselves, do I really think that anything is ever going to change in my life? Because remember, we have, we have the definition of exile, which I would also just redefine for our purposes right now as death, from Reb Labela Eger, who says, what does it mean to be in exile, right? Or I would rephrase that and say, what does it mean to be a member of the living dead. It means that you think that because today was like yesterday, that tomorrow is going to be like today. I'll say that again. To be a member of the living dead, if you want to know, am I, am I a card-carrying member of the living dead? <laughs> right? Am I a member of the zombie club? Well, if you believe that because today was like yesterday, tomorrow is going to be like today, then yes, congratulations. Your, your dues are fully paid. You're a member of the living dead. Because the quality that, that, that is missing or is hope. It means a person doesn't have any hope. Okay. So now, I want to I approach the conversation from another angle, okay? And I want to try to situate it in terms of where we are right now. Because right now is a time of hope. It's a time of actually great hope. Um, we just finished the month of Adar, and we've just entered into the month of Nisan. Now, what does that mean? Adar 
is actually, we, we discussed it last week, if you want to hear more on it, but Adar is, is the 12th month of the year, because we have, a, a, we, have, we have this strange dynamic in terms of the calendar. We have um, Rosh Hashanah, which is, which is the new year for years, but then we have six months earlier, something, a construct on the calendar called the new year for months. Right? And they're, they're two different counts. So in the new year for months, the beginning of the year, so to speak, is in Nisan, which is springtime. Um, and, you know, when you talk about beginnings, there's something so beautiful about the Torah's approach to beginnings. And um, you see it in a special halacha, which you can do starting, uh, I guess, starting yesterday, but you know, according to all post-scheme um, authorities, you can absolutely do it starting today, which is, there's a special once-a-year blessing that we make on, um, on fruit-bearing trees. Okay? So the way, the way it works is, is that if a, um, before a fruit comes out of a tree, first there's a flower. And then, I guess the bees, whatever it is, pollinate the flower, and then the fruit comes out of the tree. It's an an amazing thing. So the blessing that we say is we thank God for for like giving like like these delightful things like, you know, basically like fruit is like candy, you know? It's like God made like candy growing out of wood, you know? It's like this this incredible thing. Like God said, and here's lots of it, you know? (laughs) Here's like every brand of it. You got like mangoes and peaches and oranges and kiwis. I mean, it's, it's amazing. God's, Creativity is absolutely, it's astounding actually, you know? And it's sweet and it's delicious and it's free and it just grows and, you know, it's wherever you want. I saw, um, I saw something that I thought was just really interesting. In, um, this took place in San Francisco. They, um, they had all these fruit, they, they had all these fruit bearing trees, but they somehow rejiggered the um, the genetics of the trees, right? So that they wouldn't bear fruit. So that they would just be decorative. And the reason why they did that is because, you know, otherwise fruit would be falling and it would become this sanitation issue just in terms of city management. And they didn't want, you know, fruit rotting on trees and then falling and becoming a mess and all the rest, right? But these, like, activists, like, said, well, wait, God is, like, just feeding people for free, you know, like, you know, especially in a place like San San Francisco, there's a homeless population and things like that. Like, wouldn't it be great if all these fruits or all these trees actually bore fruit and like hungry people could just walk down the sidewalk and just get a meal? Like, wouldn't that be great? So what they did was they started grafting on branches onto all these trees so that they would start bearing fruit. And, you know, that's like, just, you know, when you think of, like, really, in my opinion, inspired guerrilla, you know, activity, like, that's, that's beautiful, man. Like, you know, why, why isn't ISIS, like, walking around, like, grafting, like, fruit-bearing branches on trees around the world, you know? Like, if they, like, really want to try to, like, usher in the next era, you know, that's radical. It's totally against the law. Yeah, well, I want to make sure I'm breaking the law. 
you are absolutely breaking the law. Okay, I'm on board. You know, it's like, like to, to harness like a radical sensibility into being able to help people and feed people. Like this is like, this is, this is real, you know, like innovation. Not just destroying, you know, it's, it's so ugly. You know, I don't have to convince you that that ideology is flawed. But, you know, here's a channeling of it, which is so interesting. But any, anyway, that aside... So here we are blessing fruit-bearing trees. So if you were to ask me at what point during the year, because, you know, the amazing thing about Torah and, and halacha is that we define everything. You know, we don't say, oh, um, have good intentions, be a loving person, be honest in business, good luck. See you after 120, you'll get your report card from God. You know, we don't say that. We say, okay, what does it mean to be an honest businessman? How much is too much of a profit when you're, when you're actually gouging another person, when you're actually a pirateer? How much can you make on a business transaction? Like, what's called honesty? What's called misleading someone in a business setting? Can I say this? Can I say that? When do I have to pay my bill by exactly if no date was specified? Like, all of these things are defined and, you know, when a person approaches it from the outside, from a standpoint of ignorance, they're like, whoa, what's with all the rules, man? You know, but it's sort of like, no, don't you understand? We are taking these abstract platitudes and we're making them real. We're grounding them. Did you see the beauty in that and the definitiveness of that? You say, yeah, but this is a straitjacket on me. Then you're not seeing it. You're not understanding what's going on. We're taking it and we're, we're bringing it into this world in a concrete fashion. So if you were to ask me, when should I make, like, because at a certain point in the year, I have to make this blessing on a fruit-bearing tree. So maybe you would say, well, you know, you're a busy guy. When, whenever it's in your heart to do it. Right? Well, I, I guarantee you people... Large chunks of the population will never make it. Oh, I forgot. Right? So you say, okay, well, then you got to do it sometime during the year. Okay, well, when during the year? Well, how about when, the, when, when you've got, like, the bumper crop on the tree? Or you've got the first fruit. How about when you've got the first fruit? That, that, that would be okay, right? Or um, I wouldn't say when there's no fruit. So you're trying to explore the parameters of it and, and pin it down. So the rabbis answered this question. You know, we don't have to come up with our own answer. They said, you know when the fruit happens? When you see the flower on the tree. Now, understand the, the amazingness of that. Because no fruit has come out yet. And you're making the blessing on the fruit of the tree. Which is which is they're directing us that when you see the beginning of something, when you see the promise of something, then you're allowed to hope in a way that that hope is like real. Because at that point it's happening. You know? It's interesting, you know, when a woman becomes pregnant, we have a, we have a tradition that really, that they should wait three months before telling anyone. Because at three months, we say, you know, just medically speaking, that the, that the fetus is viable at that point. 
You know, it's going to, at that point, you know, barring any disaster and God forbid, but it's going to happen at that point, you know, for the most part, for the most part. So you can, you can say it, it hasn't happened yet, but you can say it because it's real at that point. You can hope, you're allowed to really make your hope real at that point. I'll give you another example, maybe even a better example. Do you know the Jewish day, if you were to ask me, when does day start? I tell you when the sun comes up. That's not what the Torah says. The Torah says when three stars come out in the sky, which is the promise of the new day. <laughs> when the promise of light is extant, we're already counting it as daytime. When the flower comes on the tree, it's not even the fruit yet. We're already counting it. We're already counting it that the fruit is there. In other words, God is telling us hope at this point. You don't have to wait to have it in your pocket at this point. You're allowed to hope at this point, and your hope is real at this point. I want you to hope at this point, because at this point, even though you don't necessarily see it yet, I'm showing you that it's real. So, so now let's go back into the calendar. So that happens at the time of Nisan. Starting with the first day of the month of Nisan, you're allowed to make this blessing on the tree, on the fruit-bearing tree. Now, interestingly, amazingly, we have something which is, which is again, not so obvious, and, and, uh, and it's just really worth knowing which is from the Torah perspective, time itself has a personality. And you would think that, you know what, like time, why would time have a personality? Like um, maybe it has a personality just to the, to the extent that I endow it with a personality. Like for instance, I would say that um, my birthday is a very special day of the year, right? We all love our birthdays, right? And, but but is it really so different from the day before the day after? We would say, no, basically time is parav, so to speak, right? But because I endow it with that specialness, it becomes a special day. But no, it's, it's more than that. We actually say time itself comes in all these different flavors and that God actually endows time in a different way so that one day is not like another day. One month is not like another month. And we're not talking about astrology right now. We're just talking about the essence of being alive, the essence of this, this amazing dimension called time. And if you, study, if you study the more mystical writings and everything like that, they'll tell you the different times of the year and, and, and the different periods that you're in, which is great because it enriches your life because now you're interacting and you realize that there are all sorts of opportunities that are available at those moments that might not be as available other moments, right? So it's a much richer way of going through, through life. Now I'm telling you this because we have a major shift in the calendar right now in terms of the personality of time that's, that's going on right now. We're leaving Adar. Adar, remember, is... is um, the, the mazel, or the, what we say, the zodiac sign of, of Adar is, is, is a fish. Fish live in the ocean. The ocean is the realm of concealment. You don't, you don't know what's going on exactly. It's the last month of the year. It's the one furthest away from this point of light, this month called Nisan, 
which has the word nase or miracles in it, which is open revelation of godliness. Remember, the tribe of Nisan is Yehuda, and Mashiach comes from Yehuda. So Nisan is this month of light, but Adar, Adar is, is already, you know, like darkness. Remember, we have the holiday of Purim. We read Megillus Esther. In Megillus Esther, the account of Purim, God's name isn't mentioned one time. Concealment, right? So, so interestingly, we ended the month of Adar, and this year, the book of Shmos at the same time, book of Exodus. And what was the event that the book of Exodus ends with, right? Because we just started a brand new book of the Torah and the month of Nisan, just on Shabbos. So this amazing shift that happened, a new book. And remember, as Rabbi Wolfson says so beautifully, that, that God takes the letters of the, the week's Parsha and weaves them together in order to create the fabric of time and space, right? So if we've got a whole new book, that's a major shift. That's a new reality that we're entering into. So what's going on in terms of the Torah that's aligning with the calendar from our movement from Adar, which is concealment, to Revelation, which is Nisan, okay? The event in the Torah is the following. Adar, the book of Exodus, ends with the, dedicate, with, the, with the finishing up of the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, right? But there's a cloud of Hashem, a cloud of glory that's over it. And people are like, wow, the Shekhinah has come down. And, you know, they're not able to go into it yet. Now comes Sefer Vayikra, right? Leviticus, like this brand new book. And how does it begin? With Moshe entering into the tabernacle, into the Mishkan. So in other words, here you have Adar and you have the end of Shmos. The tabernacle is built, but you can't get into it. Right? That's Adar. It's still on the level of concealment. Now we enter into Nisan. We have a brand new book of the Torah. And you're able to actually enter into the Mishkan. Right? God invites you into his house. An amazing, an amazing shift. It's an amazing shift from concealment to revelation. You see it reflected in the Torah itself and the calendar. So that means it's really going on. Now let's revisit the question. You see, why should I enter into the house? (laughs) If I have no hope, I'm not going to enter into the house. See, you know, the the Talmud refers to a dream uninterpreted as a letter that's been sent but hasn't been read. There are opportunities that are put before us, but if we've lost the ability to hope, then it's as if they don't exist. Oh, I want you to meet someone. Ah, what good is it? You know how many people I've met already? How does it help me? So you have another person, another disappointment, right? Lined up for me. 
another opportunity for me to hate myself, right? What do I need it for? Meanwhile? No. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hashem is calling you into the house and there's been a shift and we didn't walk in. And why? Because we're a member of the walking dead. Because we've lost hope. I want to tell you something. Let's go even deeper now. In terms of Jewish law. So this isn't just an idea. And this is from the Yishvitzer Rebbe. From now the Me'a Shalach. This is the grandfather of the Radzin. Okay? You see, we have an interesting halacha. Which is if someone drops money in, in, in the street. Let's say I drop a dollar. Like I was reaching for my keys. Right? A dollar dropped out of my pocket. I got into my car, I drove off. Someone finds that dollar on the street. According to Jewish law, does that dollar belong to him or does it not belong to him? Now, it depends. The answer is it depends. And it's a very fascinating dynamic, which is 100% what we've been talking about this entire time. You ready for this? What do you think it depends on? I'm going to tell you. If the person who lost that item still has hope, hope that they're going to find it, then it still belongs to them. If they've lost hope, then it belongs to whoever finds it on the street. Isn't that amazing? The tribe of Yehuda is the tribe from which Mashiach comes from. And the Ishbitzer Rebbe says, you know why? Because the tribe of Yehuda has this ability that they never stopped hoping. And because they never stopped hoping, they're able to lay claim on this next era that humanity is entering into. And it belongs to them because they never gave up hope that it's going to come. Do you see? Can you imagine? Do you see how profound this is? You say, I'm in a court of law. What do you mean I hope I don't hope? That's not something like you can put in a Ziploc bag and put like article, you know, exhibit A on. You're going to put your hope in a Ziploc bag and try to present it in an American court? And yet the Torah is telling you, Hashem is telling you, that it is a profound, profound, profound piece of evidence. That not only is it relevant, it is the deciding point in the entire case itself. Remember, we always talk about it. They always talk about in science and, you know, in academia, the time-space continuum. But the Sefiyat Sira boils down all of reality to three basic components, not just two. Time, space, and soul. That the human dimension is, is absolutely critical in terms of understanding the world and in terms of the dynamics of how the world actually functions. And so once you incorporate the dimension of soul into time and space, whether someone has hope or not is exceedingly relevant. Exceedingly relevant. 
I remember, you know, I knew a couple. They didn't have a baby for a long time. A long, 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 long time. And I remember then they, they ended up having children. But I remember I, I, I was asked to speak at the occasion celebrating the birth of their first child. And I remember saying, you know, this, you know, we say like, like um, I tell you, uh, I dedicate it to you too, that you should have this in mind. You should have this in mind. I heard this from Rabbi Shlomo. When, when, um, when the chassan, when the groom lowers the veil over the face of the bride of the kala, <coughs> that at that moment, the neshamas of the children are coming down for that couple. Mm. Have it in mind. Have it in mind. Don't forget. And that's a moment where you daven for your children. It's a moment where you daven for your children. Okay? They say, by, 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 by intimacy, when, when a husband and wife are trying to conceive, what should they be thinking about? They should be thinking about the quality of the, of the children that they want to have, the souls of the children that they want to bring down. So this is like, even before that moment, when the, when the, when the veil is coming down, that that's like, that's the first opportunity, really, you know, as husband and wife, you know. So I said to him, listen, you know, at that moment, your children, the souls of your children came down. And who knows, it was so many years, you could have given up hope. Maybe you would have lost your, maybe you would have lost your connection to them. Right? Because you give up hope, then, then legally speaking, legally speaking, you know, maybe those souls go to someone else. Who knows? I don't know how it works. But by keeping hope alive, you maintain your claim of ownership in a very real way. I said, you never gave up your claim of ownership. You never stopped hoping. And, and there it is. Here we're celebrating, you know, the materialization, right, of that soul in this world. So, let's wrap it up. Let's revisit what the Kutzka Rebbe said. It's a very great miracle, right, to resurrect the dead. But it's an even bigger miracle to resurrect the living, to bring the living back to life. Because the living have to make a determination and they have to have the courage. They have to have the courage to hope. They have to have the courage to hope. And once you hope, then you have the strength to enter into the house. Right? And, um, and it's coming. It's coming. All the things that Hashem has promised us are coming. They're all coming. Hashem is not a person that he forgets. Right? Everything that's been promised to us as a people, as a world, as a creation, is coming. It's all coming. And so we have to do our job, which is to maintain our ownership on those promises. 
And even though we haven't actually seen the fulfillment of all of these things yet, to understand that the glimmer of it, the promise itself, is like the blossom on the tree, is like the stars in the sky. Meaning to say that there is enough there that we can already say that there's a reality to it right now. 